Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, back with my co-host, Al McDonald. Al, we've got some exciting times coming up and you had a great August and uh, why don't you tell our audience about it? I did. I had mentioned a, a number of times about the uh, Great Cycle Challenge that I was participating in in the month of August. And my goal was to ride 750 kilometers for the month and raise $2,500. And I'm happy to say that I exceeded both. I got in just over 800 kilometers for the month and raised just shy of $6,000. So thank you very much to everyone who supported me. It was a lot of fun. And now I'm looking forward to some riding in September. Very well done. And of course, we're all very proud of you over here at Life and Legacy Advisory Group and ARIA Benefits. Well, I'm excited. I've said it so many times, you're getting probably sick of hearing me say it, but I love the podcast because I get to meet really cool, interesting people. And most of the time that's done via introduction now. Today's guest joining us is Peter Barber. I hope I said that right. A co-founder and CEO of Sino. And I always ask people, you know, can you send me over a little bit of a bio? Because, you know, we can find it a little more about you and share that with the guests. And rather than reading through a bio today, I thought I'd just touch on some interesting points about Peter. Peter says he is very family focused. He has Ethan, his son, nine years old, Whitney, who is seven, and Joni, his wife. And we'd be in trouble if we didn't mention your wife, Peter. So we're going to definitely say hi to Joni. Hi, Joni. Peter's education background, he's a kinesiologist and also has an MBA. He has published. He sold his first startup in 2011, started Sino in 2017, and raised $3.3 million to date from private investments and venture capital. What does he like to do in his off time? Reading, listening to podcasts. I'm sure ours is one of yours, Peter, or at least it will be after today. And spending time at the cabin with the family. I love that you put in a fun fact. I'm going to ask people for a fun fact from now on because I love this. And we're going to talk about this. You worked on cruise ships as a fitness director and traveled around the world when you were 19. Well, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Let's start there because I have not met anyone yet that has worked on a cruise ship and I've done many cruises. Peter, tell me if it's true because I met some crew on the last cruise we were on and they were saying, hey, you know, you've got the guest bars up here. Well, down below decks, we've got our own crew bar and we've got our own parties that happen and it's a completely different world that all the guests don't know about. True or false? True. Very true. Very true. There's a whole world. So within a cruise ship, you have two different types of staff. You have concessionaries. So these are typically like third party companies and that's who I work for. And then you have actual staff, the cruise line. So Royal Caribbean, Norwegian, you know, Carnival, stuff like that. So the concessionaries are typically allowed as long as you wear your name tag, you can go out in all the pasture areas, you can go to the buffets and you can do all your stuff. If you work for the actual cruise line, they're not actually allowed. So when they're off and they're not working, they're not allowed in pasture areas. So there's an entire world underneath the ship. They call it the I-95. So at the very bottom of the ship, there's one massive area where you can go from the bow to the stern. 
And then there's restaurants there, like they have like buffets there for the staff. There's in the front of the ship, there's a staff area there, like a kind of a balcony area. You can, they can go outside and sunbathe and a day off and stuff like that. And so, yeah, so there's a, a whole world. There's even like staff that start up because a lot of international people that work on these ships. So the staff will start up. They, back then they had like cell phone rentals with minutes you could buy. They had like food from like the Philippines you could buy down there and stuff. And there's a whole world that exists that the pastors never see. I would imagine that would have been a great experience to not only travel the world, but meet people from all over the world and different cultures. When I read that, I thought that's fascinating. Before we jump into your company, favorite destination that you've ever been? I would have to say probably Dubrovnik in Croatia. Interesting. And what yeah. was it about Dubrovnik? Because I've been there too, and I really enjoyed myself. I'm a history buff. So that's why Europe, like we've been all over like Caribbean and Alaska and those areas too. But the Mediterranean has so much history in it. From Dubrovnik, you can still see buildings that were bombed during the Bosnian War. And just, yeah, it's just, just a really cool culture over there. So it was less about going to the beach and lying in the sun and, you know, having a pina colada. It was more about kind of experiencing the culture, which, which I thought was really appealing. Well, I'm with you. Dubrovnik is definitely a highlight of a place I've traveled as well. But let's get down to business because that's what we're here for. Sure. Let's start at, I guess, at the very beginning. What is Sino? And if I'm pronouncing that wrong, you can correct us. And Maybe tell us a little bit about the company, what you do, and where did the name come from? Because I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, so I'll start the name. I always tell people I have, I have a really good answer and I have a poor answer for that. So I'll give you both. So the good answer is Sino is actually short for an old English word, Sinoshore. And so Sinoshore was meant to be like a bright light or, or a sense of guidance. And so that's what we wanted to be with healthcare. The poor answer is I wanted a four-letter URL and it was available. So... Those are the, the two different directions. Regardless, it actually begun just as a working title and kind of stuck. And the funny thing is, a little side note there, the problem with the shortened version of Sinoshore or Sino is that if you look it up, it's like the Greek word for dog, which is totally not what we wanted it to be. So uh, hindsight is twenty twenty when you're picking names of companies, but that's the story behind that in regard to why we're called Sino. Okay. And can you give us an overview of what your company does? Yeah. So essentially what we are is we're a healthcare provider marketplace. Our mission is to improve the accessibility of healthcare for everybody. We do that through a couple different ways. We actually initially started off when we first launched solving the problem of ergonomics. So this was pre-pandemic. We were building our platform. We knew we wanted to have a full marketplace of all different types of healthcare providers, but we had to pick one. So we started meeting with companies and we were asking them, so guys, what sort of problems do you have with accessibility and these sort of things? And we actually stumbled upon one company that said, actually, you know what? Even now we have about 2,000 employees working from home even before the pandemic, and we really struggle setting them up in their home offices and, and getting them assessed and getting equipment to them and so on and so forth. And so well, we could probably solve that. And, you know, that company was Shopify, so it was a great first client for us. So we said, well, I think we can solve that. So, and we do, and we still serve some to this day. We've done assessments all over the world and send desks and chairs and stuff, everywhere from New Zealand to all over the US and Canada and Europe. So that was our, our first initial way we solved accessibility of healthcare. Then we expanded even more so because obviously we started working with companies like right? we, we think we can help the general wellness thing with companies. And so we expanded our marketplace to include everything from mental health counseling to registered dietitians with nutrition or naturopaths or Reiki therapists and personal trainers. And so we kept on expanding. We even now include even general wellness things like music lessons and language lessons and these other sort of more holistic sides of wellness. So we, we went to companies and we started creating employee wellness programs. So essentially they would pay for their employees to have a 
certain amount of credits access and they go in and they can book group sessions or one-on-one -on -one consultations with these experts or there's on-demand content. And so we start helping in that way. And the, and the third and last way, and this is one of our focuses here now too, is we're actually partnering with health facilities in rural communities. And so what we do there is we actually allow for them to choose from our marketplace of providers to expand their services within things like physiotherapy clinics and pharmacies and community health centers. And they can actually expand their services in the community so that their community members can get better access and quicker access to healthcare. So, so we use our marketplace in a number of ways to achieve that mission of accessibility of healthcare. I can see where the kinesiology came in very handy. It's interesting. You talk to a lot of people and they end up doing something in their career that has nothing to do with their degree. Yeah. But clearly where you started that kinesiology degree and background really helps you get started and then obviously expand further from there. So kudos to you for actually using your degree. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if I use as much as I like. I always joke and say, like, I'm a poor kinesiologist. I'm, a, I'm better at business. And so I actually only recently got my MBA. I did it part time for the last five years and I convocated just literally about six months ago, only because I figured I need some formal education in business because like you mentioned earlier, it was my second startup. So I've been doing business for a while, but I quickly realized my talent was more in the business of healthcare versus actually being a provider myself. So I'm much better finding better providers than myself to be able to help people and run the business side of it. So, but yes, most definitely that access with kinesiology and experience in like the rehabilitation world and in the general healthcare world is definitely an asset. Peter, can you talk a little bit, you've mentioned a little bit about the why and the what. Can you talk a little bit maybe about what makes you different from a lot of the other, and I'll say wellness programs out there or providers? So what makes you different and maybe what extra that you bring to the client? Like what is it that you do differently that helps with employees wellness? Yeah, that's a good question. The biggest difference for us is really us understanding holistic wellness and everyone's unique path to wellness. So my first business actually, what we used to do is we'd actually have a corporate wellness aspect. We'd go physically into businesses and we'd offer lunch and learns or on-site fitness assessments and foam rolling classes and, you know, all these sort of fun things and team building events. And I remember one day in particular, I went into a company and we brought in a registered dietitian to do a presentation. And there was about 10 or 12 people that showed up and there was some healthy snacks and stuff I included and they all really enjoyed it. The problem was there was 300 people in the building. And so rightfully so, the owners of the company saying, well, Peter, like, we're going to struggle to keep doing this if we're only getting you know, 10 people of 300 to show up. And I couldn't understand why people wouldn't show up. You know, you know it was free. It was good information. It's a professional. And so I went and started asking people. And I went to the marketer and I said, hey, uh, why didn't you show up to today's session? And she said, well, Peter, like, honestly, like, I don't really care about registered dietitians. And now he said, now, if you brought a personal trainer, I'd be there for that. Well, that's interesting. And so then I went to the project manager and I said, well, why didn't you go? And he was like, well, Peter, like, I don't care about personal trainers or dietitians. If you brought a naturopath in or maybe like a Reiki therapist, like holistic stuff, I'd be there. That's right up my alley. That's my thing. And I was like, geez, oh, that's interesting. And then I went to the next person. And what I realized was that I'd have to bring in probably about 30 different healthcare providers in different areas of wellness to get the type of participation that the company wanted and rightfully should want to see based on what might their pain. So to answer your question, how we're different, there's a lot of platforms out there that'll offer maybe virtual doctor services or virtual counseling services or virtual fitness services. But with Sino, we are a very, very broad marketplace by design. And what we do is we actually make customized suggestions for an employee. So when they go into our marketplace, they tell us what they're interested in. We actually let them choose. And then we only show them 
on-demand content from our providers, one-on-one sessions, live group sessions, recorded group sessions, all that has to do with what they're actually interested in and what their wellness journey looks like. And that is our biggest competitive advantage is because we look at that holistic piece of wellness. Because at the end of the day, you know, you look at mental health, let's say it's a big problem right now. And so most people will take the hammer of counseling, which is amazing because there's some nails out there that's going to be exactly what it needs. And that hammer is going to hit that nail. They're going to get counseling is exactly what they need. But maybe someone else doesn't need that. Maybe someone else is a screw or a bolt or something else and the hammer is not going to work. And so maybe they need meditation. Maybe they need to work on their physical wellness or maybe they're eating McDonald's every day. It's really hard to be mental well if you're doing that. You need to talk to a dietitian, get through that. So you need to be able to have that holistic approach to be overly well and also get the type of engagement that the companies deserve based on the money they're paying for it. So then with that type of approach, compared to when you you know only saw 12 people show up, what kind of uptake do you see now that you've had this broader offering and, you know, this customization? There's a lot of variables involved that, but we typically see anywhere from 30 to 40% of a company in the run of a year use it. That's on the more larger side of companies. Smaller companies will see, you know, up to 60% and higher of a company that we're going to see people that are logged in to use Sino. But what I will say, a factor that a lot of people ignore is buy-in at the management and HR level within the companies themselves. If a company just rolls out Sino and we are going to reach out to those contacts within companies and try to engage them. We have weekly newsletters that go out to every single employee, let them know about new providers we're onboarding, new services that are available, new webinars that we're doing. We're not just a brochure as someone gets when someone just starts with a company and they never hear about it again, like an EAP. It's more this ongoing piece that we're in front of them with, no, hey, this is available to you. And then we also do like some custom events with people to help promote the platforms. They got to log in, they got to see it. But we find the HR team within companies that embrace this and that see the value. Typically, they're also users themselves. Those companies' engagement goes through the roof, and it's amazing. The ones that we send emails, try to get them engaged, try to meet to go through engagement, see how we can improve it, so that it's really hard to book a meeting with them. It's more of a checkbox that, hey, we're offering something great. Okay, let's move on. And it's sometimes not their fault, by the way, because lots of times HR people, the wellness piece is like a whole second job in addition to everything else they got to do. So I'm, I'm not trying to place blame at anyone's feet. But if you don't have that key buy-in within the company, you're not going to see the type of engagement that you want to see. Yeah, of course, that makes sense. Do you have any success stories that you can share? Like where something that you've done, something you've offered to an employee, you've gotten some great feedback about how that helped someone? Yeah, you know, obviously I need to be a little bit careful regarding personal health information and how we say things. But, you know, we hold focus groups with our users a couple times a year. That gives us the opportunity to ask these questions because they're, of course, volunteering their time to be asked that. We've heard everything from some employees saying that we've saved them thousands of dollars because the amount of access that they get to things like counseling services and other services like that, that they would normally have to spend. One in particular said, if I compare last year to this year, last year we didn't have sign-off, this year we did. Because what happened is counseling is expensive. Average cost of counseling sessions is around $150 an hour, depends on where you are in Canada. And so the average coverage within insurance or private insurance is around 500, some go up to 1,000, right? 80% coverage, that's your norm. There is differences in some places, but that's your norm. So it means that the person probably gets maybe what? three, six sessions at the high end for an entire year. And so what ends up happening is this person had to buy a whole bunch out of pocket because she decided that that was something she wanted to invest in her mental health. And she actually spent $3,000 a year beforehand on that. When she compared that year to this year, she didn't have spent any extra because of the amount of coverage that we provided within Sino. So that's one. We had other ones where, where people said, point blank, because the access was so easy that we actually saved their lives. Like they said, point blank in the written, say, Peter, I've never had counseling before in my life. I never connected people on a physical wellness level before in my life. This was so easy. Like you can book an appointment 
with like three clicks. And we have people that are available within 24, 48 hours, not three week wait times, three month wait times sometimes on the specialty, but we give right in and immediately be able to have that connection. And so I know I'm talking generalities because I can't give names and things like that, but these are the types of successes that we see on a regular basis. And it's what motivates us to keep on pushing forward. That's so good to hear. And you're right. A lot of the programs out there, yes, they have counseling. Yes, they have access but there's limits, right? And if you can't afford to go past that limit, well, then you're up against a bit of a barrier. So that's some great stories that you've related and glad that you've been able to help some people out. I'm sure they are too. Yeah, I think so. Sitting back and listening, I heard a couple of things that I love. Number one, as a benefits broker myself and a business owner too, I love hearing stories about stretching that benefits dollar further, right? Anytime I hear that and people can get you know, more coverage or more value from their benefits plan. To me, that's a win. But secondly, and you talked about this a little bit earlier, and then you brought it back in this conversation too. I'm sitting here in Oakville and you know, the last couple of years have been a struggle for everyone. And luckily I've got a good family support system, but if I needed to reach out for mental health support and go for counseling, sitting here in Oakville, it's accessible for me right? Maybe there's a three-week waiting period to your point. I think your platform would be very beneficial. But for those people in rural areas that we talked about at the top of the podcast, I've got to think this is a game changer for people who are working remotely, maybe don't have access or that access is quite a long waiting period. I've got to think, Peter, this is a game changer, especially on the mental health aspect through your platform. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So what we found, and this is one of the reasons why we're partnering with health facilities that are currently residing in these communities as distribution centers. A, it, it helps them as a business. They do get a, a cut of revenue to be able to help that and expand their services. But the most important thing is, of course, accessibility. So the things that we're hearing from people in these communities is atrocious in this day and age. One of the things that actually made me start Sino actually started in rural, even though it's only now recently now that we're now focused on going to rural communities. So my wife's family is from a small town called Triton in Newfoundland, and there's about 1,200 people. And her grandmother's out there. So just before I started Sino, and we were out there, and uh, she had a medical issue that she wanted to get solved. And the problem was the closest provider or expert that she needed to see for the issue was about an hour and a half drive away. And she kind of came to the conclusion because there were some mobility challenges. And at the time, I think it was winter, actually, you know, go on the highway, you know, hour and a half and both three hours on the highway. The answer was she ended up not getting help. I couldn't help but sit back and think, say, like, this doesn't make sense in this day and age, right? And this was back in, like, early 2017 when we were first getting things started. I was like, this doesn't make sense. And I knew what she was dealing with. And I said, I think some really good advice. Like, don't get me wrong. There's time, place for in-person care. We're not trying to solve every problem because it can't be all solved with virtual. But there's a lot that can. And this particular one with a bit of solid guidance could have been solved. And that was frustrating to me. And so the rural problem, to your point about accessibility of various types of different healthcare uh, issues, was near and dear to my heart. And it was kind of part of that founding story of Sino, even though we started it within companies first. And now we're kind of having a look again now at these rural communities. But we're really excited about the idea of being able to help that accessibility piece in those rural communities. Do you want to talk a little bit about what the future holds, Peter? Where do you see yourself going down the road? What's on the horizon? And what new things are you going to be able to bring to your clients? As a provider marketplace, we see lots and lots of opportunities of how we can help people get better accessibility. We will continue to work with companies and continue to give better access from that standpoint. We've now recently expanded. We'll continue to expand also now into professional development. So 
we view wellness very broadly. As I mentioned before, we have things like you can learn to play ukulele or write your first song, or you can learn to speak French or Spanish on Sino. But we view that as a part of your wellness journey. And we also view your career. If you're in marketing, talking to someone who's an expert in graphic design is probably helpful. If you're a person that's trying to understand cybersecurity, it'd be helpful to talk to a cybersecurity expert, or maybe you're just trying to increase your career and you just need some general career advice. Again, we still think this is part of wellness. So we've recently expanded that area. We're going to continue to expand these areas because we believe the more we can provide employees with better access to these things, the more engagement we're going to get. And the more engagement we get, the better results we can get then in regard to healthier and happier employees for, for our, our company clients, um, which is the goal. So we'll be expanding services further in that area. And then we're going to be putting a large emphasis on the expansion within the health facilities in Canada and the U.S. So we're putting a lot of our time and effort into reaching out for those partnerships so that we can expand those services in those regions. So that's kind of neat that you talked about some of these, we'll call them extras, like stuff that wouldn't normally be associated with an EAP or in a wellness type program, like again, ukulele lessons or learning a new language. Like what made you go there? Honestly, feedback. We have these focus groups. We also, outside the focus groups, we get users that are passionate about Sino and they use it on a regular basis. And so they give us feedback like, hey, it'd be great if we could see this. Literally just the other day, someone came and said, I want gardening coaching. I want someone to like tell me how to start my own garden in my backyard so I can actually grow my own like fruit and vegetables. Like that's really cool. That's something I think we could source, you know, like that's interesting. So really all of our growth and direction in regard to requires are is user driven. And we're just very open, I guess. We don't try to put ourselves in a box when it comes to wellness. And I think people appreciate that. I really like how you're being really open-minded and broad about wellness, because as you were saying that, and it goes back to the top of the podcast, when you had those initial meetings say, hey, this doesn't interest me, but if you had this, and I'm sitting there as you're saying that, you know, je voudrais parler français, yo quiero hablar espanol también, right? Those are things that are appealing to me. And I'm sure Al was sitting here thinking, oh, well, that part doesn't interest me, but hey, that part does. So I love how you're thinking about it in broad terms. As someone sitting here, you know, a lot of business owners listen to our podcast, a lot of people in the chief people officer space. If someone's thinking of Sino and they think, hey, this is something different. This is a different conversation that we can have with our team. Number one, who is the ideal customer? Mm. And then number two, what are those key aspects to make sure we have a really successful launch when you roll this out? Yeah, great question. So our ideal customer profile is a companies that are still embracing hybrid and remote work. I know that's a hot topic right now. I'm sure you probably have some podcasts that dove or will have that dive into that. But we're a fully virtual platform. We're well suited for connecting people over large geographies. We have some clients that are fully in office that use us, so it's, we don't rule them out. But the best fit is for people that are still embracing that piece because they're struggling to find connection. They're struggling to figure out how do we connect all of our employees across these large geographies couple come in the office, the rest of them, we don't see them for a couple months. And what do we do? And what's the offering is going to make sense. So find the gym membership at the, the local gym, the good life or the gold's gym down the street that doesn't really work anymore. And so people are searching for a solution. So, so that's first and foremost, I will say that we're a best fit for non frontline worker type businesses. So office-based businesses that work from desks and chairs and things like that. Not that a construction company, like we can never work with them, but it's probably less of a fit if let's say there's a lot of frontline workers or field work. So we're not as good a fit for that. Sometimes I find to answer that question, I like saying what we're not a good fit for, say what we are a good fit for. I find that sometimes helpful, take a little bit contrarian sort of approach to it. But yeah, yeah, so, so definitely hybrid remote embracing more kind of office oriented type work, non frontline or manufacturing. That's not necessarily a great fit for us. 
and honestly, a willingness to participate. Like I mentioned earlier, and I'll say it again, buy in at the management and at the HR levels and that we are not a checkbox. We're not really looking to partner companies that are looking for a checkbox. You want that, get an EAP. We actually have a full website. We actually title it notaneap.com. So if you get a chance, go look at it. But we spun it up just to say that that's not what we are. And so if someone's looking for a checkbox, it's probably your better bet. But, you know, if someone's looking to actually invest and be able to make sure that people do have this broad choice, that we can get participation, we can get easier access to make people more mentally and physically and even socially well, that we're the answer for those people. That is an excellent answer. And I'm actually glad you also told the audience maybe where you aren't necessarily a fit. I think people listening will very clearly or very quickly understand like, oh, okay, that's something for us or or maybe that's not a good fit, which is okay too, right? You can't be all things to all people. <laughs> well, we're arriving at my favorite part of the podcast and it's where we talk about Al's signature question. And I don't know if you're prepared to be honest because I can't remember if we talked about it or not, but if you're okay with it, Peter, we'll let Al take it away and see what happens. Yeah, so we can throw it out. And if you want to answer it, great. By the way, I do love the name of the website. That's great. So yeah, here's the question. A society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting? Yeah, so I think right now we're in a really interesting time. The average person right now is talking about things like chat GPT and AI, which is hilarious because if you were to go about two years ago, the average person wouldn't even know what AI or machine learning is. The amount of trees or seedlings that are being planted right now that's going to fundamentally change how my kids are going to experience, I'm going to talk about healthcare right now, but we could go broader if you wanted to, but the way that they're going to experience a customized expression of what their healthcare is, is going to be foundational. And so companies like Sino, and don't get me wrong, like I'm not one of those companies that just kind of puts an AI stamp on the company just so that it looks like they're cool. We do have pieces of AI built into our recommendation engine and we'll continue to do so. But as we move forward with accessibility of healthcare, what that does is that opens doors for people to finally say like, I can live where I want to live. I can have the lifestyle that I want to have. I don't need to live in a downtown core of an urban setting if I don't want to, or maybe I do want to, and that's cool too. But what it's doing is actually technology and the way we're dealing with virtual healthcare and the way we're integrating AI and these other sort of new things into the way we're building our platforms is opening freedom. It's opening freedom. And this is one of the pieces with regard to remote work and these sort of things. We found this whole thing about now people can live in different places and things like that, but it's opening freedom. And I think the idea of freedom of healthcare, I think we have a long way to go in Canada, by the way, and this could almost be a separate podcast because I have strong opinions on some of those things, but freedom of healthcare and accessibility of healthcare, regardless of where you live, these are things that our future generations are going to realize. And for the people that do want to live in more rural communities, because that's the lifestyle that they want. Now, honestly, people are choosing to not do that because there's real legitimate concern. Like right now, like back where my wife's from, if somebody gets sick or if someone falls and breaks their arm or they literally got to drive or they got to get an ambulance to drive like an hour, hour and a half sometimes to be able to get help. That's an actual barrier to someone even saying, I can't, I want to, I can't live there if that's what they want. And so we are planting the seeds of freedom to be able to live in the lifestyle that they want. And so that's what I'm hoping for my kids. Well, I love that answer. And I love the fact that you already brought up the subject for the next podcast. Oh, great. <laughs> I'd love to dive down that avenue as well. <laughs> Very cool. 2024, we're already lining up our guests. I love it. <laughs> 
Nice, nice. Well, Peter, I've enjoyed this conversation. I can tell by the look on Al's face, he has too. So thank you for joining us today and thank you for sharing your journey. It's been really, really interesting. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at SignUp? Yeah, the best thing is go to our website, cyno.com, sino.com. Again, that four-letter URL, easy to remember. There's a contact form in case anyone wants to reach out and want to meet with one of our team members to find more about SignUp, but there's more information there too. So that's probably the best place to go right on the website. Perfect. Well, that does it for today's episode. As always, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. And remember, success leaves clues, my friends.